You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Stick together and 3CR recognise that this broadcast was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nations. We recognise their ongoing struggle for peace, land and justice and pay respect to their elders past and present, a knowledge that we work and live on stolen lands. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Stick Together. I'm your host James Brennan. Stick Together is the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. This week we're chatting to Bailey Sharp, who's a casual tutor and member of the RMIT NTU Casuals Network. She's been part of an ongoing dispute at RMIT to win back pay to win back unpaid wages for staff that they have recently won. The university has been ordered to pay back over $10 million. It's been a really positive end to the year with a few workers and union battles having been won or it looks like they're going to be concluded with a victory themselves. Uh, but rather than give you some more union news this week, I'm going to suggest to you that this is a great episode to play to friends that you know that you know that uh, can show them the kind of results that can come from your union membership. Maybe yourself, uh, you know, that you're working and might be a reason for you to join the union or yeah to play to someone you know at work or a friend that you might catch up with over the summer period. I think it's also a story of real hard work that goes into being a unionist at work. Uh, You know what we can achieve as we work alongside our fellow workers and we can achieve great things. So please listen to the next couple of episodes of Stick Together and I hope you get to have a little break or if not you know just enjoy some sunshine over the summer period. Um, but please check out australianunions.org.au, follow along with our stories over summer or wherever you get your union news. Um, be sure to be listening to 3CR and your local community radio station. And, you know, let's make sure we all treat hospitality and retail staff with some love and respect over this holiday season. <laughs> Counted 
Uh, welcome to Stick Together. And on this week's episode, I'm speaking to Bailey Sharp, who is a casual tutor and member of the RMIT NTEU Casuals Network. And probably as most listeners would know, the higher education sector has been continually hit by cutbacks and restructures over you know, really successive governments now. In the last couple of years during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of jobs have been lost at Australian universities. Uh, you know, I guess in part blamed on the lack of international students, but, you know, one could also argue just the need for, you know, or their desire um, to have a restructure and to decide, um, you know, how they want to change their workforce, like many industries have done. But for those, you know, who've been able to manage to hold on to work within the universities, it's also meant transitioning into online learning, you know, often, uh, you know, in, with unpaid kind of training and, uh, you know, difficulties to kind of break into that space. Um, so on top of this, you know, the union, the NTU has been quite busy um, with the RMIT and has reached a settlement of, um, I think, around $10 million um, of uh, unpaid wages to staff over, you know, quite a substantial period of time now. And to kind of speak about that and, and to hear a bit more about what is happening in that sector. Um, thanks so much for joining me today, Bailey. Oh, yeah, no problems, James. Thanks. Um, yeah, and I guess, like, to begin with, I just wondered, maybe you could tell us about, like, what's the Casuals Network? And I guess, you know, why is that needed as a part of the um, union itself? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, so in our, our casual network at RMIT popped up at the beginning of 2020 um, when we realized what was going on and um, the need for us to have urgent discussions um, as a membership, not just as the union, um, but you know, on, on the ground with each other um, became quite evident. Um, and there are lots of casual networks that popped up in that same time period. Um, and so we operate um, with, like in tandem with the officials of the union, um, but we have enough autonomy that, you know, we're making our own decisions. We're just having member, regular members meetings of casuals talking about what's going on, talking about individual issues, um, talking about collective issues, and then deciding where we want to go from there um, and really driving the campaigns that we want to see and the fights we want to fight, including this one that we just won um, around uh, casuals who are underpaid by as much as $20 per hour um, for marking work that they did, um, going all the way back to 2014, as you alluded to. Um, so it's a huge windfall settlement um, and a huge amount of money that was withheld from casuals for years. Um, and a lot of casuals knew about it as well. It wasn't, um, you know, they knew they were being underpaid. I've had so many casuals since this win come up to me who've worked there for 10 plus years who, um, you know, were aware the whole time that they weren't getting paid correctly, but um, were in such a vulnerable position, they, they just didn't know what to do about it. Um, so I think the to, to your um, question around why organize this way, I think the network has been really helpful um, in terms of, well, for, for organizing purposes, you know, we're, we're across all a number of different schools. We've got academic staff. Um, at RMIT, academic staff is even subdivided into, we've got higher education staff and vocational education staff. Um, we have professional casuals, um, and we make up the majority of the university workforce. Um, mm. I think, you know, the figure is over 50% at most um, universities across Australia. Um, so I think the need came from, you know, we, we wanted to feel like, you know, these were our, that, that we had a space to drive our particular issues, not to be sectarian and um, operate, you know, completely independently of our ongoing colleagues, but um, instead as a tool to organize around, um, you know, so that we, we felt like we were, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a workforce that feels um, forgotten in a lot of ways. 
um, casuals um, and disrespected by um, the university. So um, having that um, ability to rally together was really um, important and it's, it's made us really quite strong. I think like just before we get to, you know, talking about the underpayments and, and you know, the issues there, like, can you just talk about what, what are some of the problems with casualization itself? I mean, you know, it can seem like an obvious perhaps question, you know, for some of us that think about these kind of things or, you know, have worked with these kind of, um, you know, as part of a casualized workforce. But I think it's still worth kind of, you know, pointing out that, um, yeah, like what, what are some of the kind of problems there? Um, well, any flexible working arrangement, um, which is, of course, how it's, um, you know, how it's uh, pitched to us. Um, means that there's there's no stability, no long-term stability. Um, you know, most casuals working in higher education are working semester to semester um, with no no clear idea if they'll if they'll be teaching at all. Um, you know, things can just the rug can totally be pulled out from under you. Um, we don't get the same benefits that ongoing staff get. Um, we don't get leave, for instance. Um, we don't get sick leave. Um, so I mean the but but really the precarity has so many implications. You know, we can't, like I said, there are all those staff members who who knew they were getting ripped off for years and years, um, didn't feel that they could come forward because um you you know, you don't you're not fired as a casual, you're just not rehired. Mm. <laughs> so it's it's really tricky to um stick your neck out and fight for anything when you're in that position. Um and of course a lot of the fights that go on around universities um are not just about the conditions for staff, but um the overall, you know idea of trying to save and salvage the university um, from being just completely um, gutted by, you know, neoliberal reforms and management. Um, so, you know, um, having your workforce, the majority of the workforce, as I said, being casual, um, means that it's it's easier for, for management to just degrade the conditions of the university and the student experience um, and harder for us to fight back against that as well. And yeah, I guess, I mean, recognizing the difficulties of being a casual worker itself and, you know, reading about this campaign, I, it kind of struck me and, and I wondered, you know, if you could talk a little bit about the kind of additional labour for workers that goes into having to fight a campaign like this, you know, kind of seems like on top of the, you know, unpaid hours of marking and things like another part-time job you have to do is just trying to get, um, you know, your, what you're owed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the university is framing this as uh, an admin error you know oh it was this mistake and we're, we're we're very sorry if you felt disrespected um we're going above and beyond and we're we're paying you um the interest in super you would have gotten on the money we stole from you aren't we so generous um but we fought them on this for uh, the last i want to say almost 18 months maybe 13 uh, but they've known about it for longer the union brought individual cases um to the university's attention people who were brave enough to stick their hands up um, and say that they were being underpaid. And that didn't, um, you know, prompt the university to investigate um, any of its own um, books. You know, they've had all the information this whole time. They wouldn't lift a finger until, you know, we really got the union in behind us to challenge them and then took them to the Fair Work Commission. Um, you know, they, they were ready to just dig in and they, they continually said to us, you need to provide us the evidence. You know, you and your members need to provide us the evidence because, as far as we know, this isn't a problem that exists. When the entire time they had, they have mm. all the evidence. <laughs> we had to. Uh, so many casuals had to pour over their records, um, which are not easy to decode. Um, you know, the casuals network volunteers have spent hours and hours contacting people, chasing them up. Um, 
canvassing people, um, putting together. I mean, we've, we've held rallies, um, we've made posters, done some informational campaigning. Um, and to add insult to injury, um, so we've got this settlement and part of it is we're going to have an oversight committee um, that we feel is absolutely necessary because um, we know that the university is not going to implement this. <laughs> there are going to be issues with the implementation, you know, um, and uh, that committee is going to be staffed um, in part by representatives from RMIT, but in part from representatives from the university and the union. Um, and any casuals that sit on that committee won't get paid. So we'll be having monthly meetings, um, maybe an hour long, but preceding that hours and hours of work, I would imagine, collating um, members issues, payments not happening, et cetera. Um, and the university, this was a sticking point um, in our negotiations these last few weeks. Um, we were trying to hold out for it, um, but in the end, um, we gave up on it because the university is, was so staunchly um, against paying casual staff to sit. And it was a it was a tokenistic sum, an hour a month per casual per three to five casual staff members. Um, so it's really it's really insulting. Um, and so we're going to continue to do unpaid work to see that the university pays back the money that they've stolen. Um, it's yeah, just flies in the face of every press release they're going to put out about you know why they in good faith gave us gave us our money back. It's interesting that, um, you know, organizations never accidentally overpay their workers. It's always a, an error to underpay. Um, but yeah, I, I guess um, maybe, you know, we could just go into a little bit of, you said, um, you know, this is, it's over a decade of, um, you know, um, time that it's gone on at RMIT of underpaying the staff. And can you paint a bit of a picture of, you know, like sort of roughly how many staff and um, you know, the kind of scale of, of this um, case and, and the settlement itself. Like there must be a huge number of staff that are involved in this. And as you said before, some, you know, up to $20 per hour underpaid, which is a huge amount. You know, that's, um, you know, that must add up to a lot for um, casual workers over, over a, uh, you know, a week or um, salary time as well. Particularly, as you said, you know, you're not getting um, some of the extra benefits of, sick pay and holiday pay and things like that, which, uh, you know, which mean that the casual rate should be higher to compensate for those kind of things. But can, yeah, can you just paint us a picture about sort of how many workers are, you know, involved in this and, and what it kind of looks like in that way? Mm, yeah, well, the so the university is saying they only owe about seven and a half million, which is a, it, it's one of the highest payouts um, any university has faced for, for back pay for casual staff. But um, you know, my the casual network's position and the union's position is that's the absolute floor of what they owe. It's it's definitely going to be higher. They're not factoring in um, certain cases um, where where people were instructed to put marking as as things like other activity um, recital payments. <laughs> There's all these different stratas that people have been instructed to um, to to code their um, marking as. Um, the university says that they've identified around 3,900 people um, who will be receiving this back pay. Um, but we're kind of, you know, we're, we're at a little bit of a, we're sort of behind a wall. Um, we're counting on them for some of this information. Um, my guess is that this, that number is also um, definitely going to be higher. Um, than what they're saying. Um, but, you know, the, um, like I said, casuals have been the majority of the workforce um, for quite a, quite a long time now. I don't know exactly when they tipped over the 50% mark. Um, and they're, and, you know, RMIT is a gigantic institution. Um, there are thousands of people employed every year. Um, when we brought this dispute and finally forced RMIT to go back and look at it, its books, 
um, you know, they sort of came back to us sort of indignantly and said, well, you know, we've looked into it and, um, you know, you keep using that word uh, systemic. Uh, it's it's not systemic. Um, you know, most people were paid correctly, which means something like over 50 percent, you know, got paid academic judgment rate. Great. Um, but they conceded that the issue was so large in scale that they opted out of even trying to investigate it further. They just decided we're going to pay everyone in the books since 2014 that was paid at any rate other than um, academic judgment for their marking because, um, as they said, it was the tip of the tip of the iceberg once they started to try and look at it um, and differentiate uh, what was being marked. Um, it was just such a um, complex um, Sisyphean kind of task for them, um, they, they wouldn't even comp contemplate it, they just paid out instead. Um, and so that speaks to how large in scale it is. And, you know, according to their own, um, you know, statements from, you know, 2019, at least, I'm not sure of the current ones, but, you know, RMIT has a, you know, annual turnover of 1.5 or just over $1.5 billion. So it's not as though, uh, you know, there isn't the money there to um, to go around. But, you know, I guess in general, the university sector has, you know, gone away from the idea of being a place of of learning and, and discovery to be one that, you know, is very much kind of driven for profits and, and driven to make money. And I think that, you know, that's a lot of the kind of language and, and rhetoric that was used around the um, international students not being able to come here, you know, not about the... Um, you know, cultural exchange that, you know, domestic students may miss out on by being able to interact with students from across the world or, um, you know, perhaps cultural things from here that those students would take back to their own, um, you know, home countries as well. But it you know, very much framed around the loss of, of revenue and, and money for the universities. And it feels like, you know, that was an excuse in which, you know, I know that there were hundreds of staff let go at um, Deakin University, Melbourne University and, and RMIT and others as well. You know, what What kind of environment is it to, to work in when you're sort of meant to be challenging and contemplating the ideas of the world? And, um, you know, like you said, there's still such a, a battle just to get your um, wages, but also, you know, it doesn't seem to be that, that sort of fostering those kind of ideas anymore. It's debilitating because, I mean, the everyone that I know, and I, I mean, speaking for myself, loves teaching. Um, you know, that's why you do it. You don't do it for the pay because or the stability, obviously, because not neither are um, are there really. But um, but yeah, I I felt morally conflicted at times um, with the treatment of international students as just cash cows that they just grab as many as they can. Um, offer very little um, in terms of support services to these students, to the the tutors um, who are suddenly teaching, you know, classes with 30 students in them. Um, I was an international student. I came here about 10 years ago and studied. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't feel particularly supported, but um, man, I really paid <laughs> a lot of money. Hmm. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's been, it's been horrible to watch the treatment. I mean, last year there were um, those images of international students lined up at soup kitchens in Melbourne um, because they were just stranded, um, you know, and and couldn't work and didn't didn't know what they were doing. And you know, I've seen just nothing on the part of the university reaching out to these students because they just take it as a given, you know, that one, one, okay, once restrictions are eased, once things open up, 
um, all right, then the hose is back on and, and we just take as many um, students as we possibly can and we squeeze them dry for this money and you know whatever the educational experience is um, you know that's that's up to the to the staff to figure out um, that's always the position of universities it's you know they, they don't wrestle with the complexities of what it means to be a university what it means to come and, and get a higher education um, they are not academics I mean you look at the um, council um, makeup of RMIT it's a bunch of business people it's there are no academics um apart from from one elected um academic member who has become our our great um branch president um trisha mclaughlin but um uh it's just um so hollow <laughs> their their view of, of what what the institution is and it's just counter to every academic's view of, of what it could be what it should be um that it's just it's re it's really devastating at times um to work there and feel like what are you doing this how, how can i fight against it um, because the educational experiences that students are getting ju just degrading year on year. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to have to finish up in a moment. And um, I want to finish on a slightly more positive note than, um, you know, that grim picture we're painting um, of the university. But I think, you know, if anything, uh, you know, the kind of desire and, you know, all the, well, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say, like, this really shows like a great reason to join a union. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you can see the kind of effectiveness and, you know, like you've really explained really clearly, Bailey, like the campaign that's gone on and, and you know, how much work that involves for workers. But, uh, you know, the union and, and you know, the unionists, which make up, you know, which make the unions effective, uh, you know, working together to um, bring about this kind of change within the workplace is really inspiring. And I think that, you know, there are obviously lots of other workplaces, not just in university sector, but, uh, you know, across everywhere that are really struggling with some of these issues around casualization and underpayment, um, you know, and I think certainly lots of issues about um, what things are going to look like as uh, workers return to um, the offices and, and things from out of um, the pandemic as well. And there's a lot of issues there to unpack. And yeah, I think it would be a wise choice to join your union and to not not just join it, but really like become active and, you know, listen to, um, you know, what, what Bailey said today about how you can kind of start a campaign, find out, you know, what's going on, talk to your fellow workers and, and you can hopefully have something as successful as what the workers at RMIT have had. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, the Casuals Network at time, it's it's been about four to five people doing the organizing work outside of um, our meetings. And, um, you know, we're real scrappy, but we, we managed to land this. Um, you know, it takes some time and some dedication, but um, it's the only way we're going to see real change. And it's it is it is completely within reach. Um, you know, I've been really inspired by the the casuals that I've worked with over this last um, year and a half. And um, I you know, I had a little union experience before this, but not much. And um, I feel incredibly empowered for the experience. Um, it's been great. Well, I hope that the rest of the process is, uh, you know, a smooth process to make sure those benefits all come to the workers and you know perhaps their campaign might um, continue on to fight for permanent positions for the workers as well oh for sure well thanks a lot for joining me today bailey really appreciate coming on thanks james that's it for stick together this week if you want to catch up with our program the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or itunes wherever you listen to your podcasts you can contact the producers of the show at stick together 3cr at gmail.com. My name's James Brennan. Thanks a lot for listening, not just today, but over the whole year. Uh, remember, wherever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. 
Until next time. And this song is called We Are The Union. I'm working retail for Christmas. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.